got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on RCST. We've got Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. He'll join the show to help us preview the Chiefs game as they take on the Cardinals in the season opener this Sunday. We're going to have our NFL season betting preview. We are also going to share a lot of audio for you over the next day or two, maybe even three days with KU football with their media availability earlier today. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. They've got some uh, fun little promotions on there right now, which are pretty much just like you're going to win. It's like, hey, if you uh, bet on this game, all you need is one point, and boom, you win with a max of a $50 bet. So, like, it's it's free money. You should go on there if you haven't already, deposit your $5, bet it, get your $200 free, and then you have that other free $50 bet, essentially. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued at free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and Wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. I want to further talk in about KU football. We didn't even get to everything yesterday. Here we are already on Wednesday, halfway through the week, but because of not having Monday, we, we still have a lot of, of stuff that we didn't get to from over the game. I, I thought there was some notable stuff from the offense for KU football that, that kind of stood out as much as you have the the cliche once again, so you know, get ready, take a shot. Um, you only played Tennessee Tech. It's you know just a, an FCS opponent. We didn't get to learn everything. We'll, we'll see more with the Power Five opponents, but there were some things, some notable pieces of that game that I think you can translate to saying, well, that was nice to see because of reason X or reason Y. The first of those would be KU's two minute offense. KU's two-minute offense at the end of that first half with all the ones in, going down there trying to score, and they did. They get the touchdown there. That was very well executed. It was just an efficient drive. Jalen Daniels moving down the field, hitting all sorts of different targets. That's what you want to see from your two-minute offense, especially right off the bat to open up the season looking that sharp. That that was really impressive from KU and Jalen Daniels. Yeah, I feel like we've reached uh, a bit of a a bell curve scenario here with with K football in regards to Tennessee Tech. It was like 
oh, the excitement of getting a big win. Like, yes, you know, here's this big win. And now we've sort of reached this point where everybody's like, well, it was only Tennessee Tech. How much can you really take away? Blah, blah, blah whatever, right? So, uh, honestly, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Like, you can still definitely be excited about the win and, and take away a lot of positives from it. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you want to prove it again next week. And that was the messaging that we heard a lot from today uh, from the various media availabilities was how quickly KU football's attention switched to West Virginia after the win against Tennessee Tech, which which I think is great. I mean, look, la- last time this happened for KU where they got a big win against Rhode Island, they stormed the field, they went crazy, and then nothing really happened after that for them, right? So the fact to, to see that clearly there is a mentality, probably via Lance Leipold of, you know, hey, we, we did what we were supposed to do, but we're not going to sit here and rest on it. We're going to go look forward to our next opponent, West Virginia, and hopefully continue that, right? So, yeah, there are a lot of positives to take away. And we talked about Jalen Daniels, who played really well besides the one bad interception, and and that's exciting to see. Obviously, you want, especially from a quarterback, you want a good game in game one to get some confidence going for him so he feels good going into the rest of the season. So that, that's a big positive, certainly, for KU. And like I said, anytime you have a game like that, you should be excited about it. But at the same time, like we've heard from many people, many people inside KU is now it's time to turn and look at West Virginia and try to build on this. Yeah, for sure. I, I think with the the Tennessee Tech, like in that two-minute drill, though, that's something where it's hard to really replicate that type of stuff at practice. Like that is such a, a game situation. And, and this is what they did. They took the ball over with a minute 36 at the end of the half. Seven-yard pass to Kevin Terry. Four-yard pass to Mason Fairchild. 12-yard pass to L.J. Arnold, 10-yard pass to L.J. Arnold, 14-yard pass to Kevin Terry, 10-yard pass to Devin Neal. These are all in succession. These uh, I'm not like skipping plays of incompletions. Then there was the one incompletion, but it was because of a pass interference. And then you have the two-yard completion to Mason Fairchild for a touchdown. Jalen Daniels on that two-minute drive. Seven for seven. He was as money as you could be. So, again, West Virginia is going to be tougher than Tennessee Tech, and, yeah, they're they're going to move forward onto that. <laughs> That's pretty darn impressive in a two-minute drill. I mean, the defense knows you're going to be passing the football, and he was just able to dice them up so easily. That's the type of stuff you need from a quarterback. If KU is going to win some of these games that maybe are more coin flips, think of the TCU game last year that they lost, the West Virginia game last year that they lost, the Oklahoma game last year that they lost, or just in general, by being a more competitive team, you're going to have closer games. And really, the Big 12 as a whole, you look at how many close games the Big 12 has had over the last few years, a majority of the conference is just decided by who wins the close games. What goes into winning close games? Doing things like that. Two-minute offense at the end of the half. Getting that extra field goal. Getting that extra touchdown. At the end of the game, two-minute drill. Just to come from behind or to get that game-winning field goal at the end. Those are real-life skills on a football field that you have to translate over the course of the season. So, yes, it's Tennessee Tech. But that's about as impressive as you could be on a two-minute drill. And overall, Jalen was just just really good. He, he Yeah, he was, he was solid besides that pick. That was, without a doubt, the most impressive part of the game to me. Uh, for him individually like he, he had the one Quentin Skinner throw that probably on its own merit just the, the throw itself is the best individual play but in terms of just one like generalized thing he did it was that two-minute drill because I do think that is something that that does carry water into future games and maybe even this weekend against West Virginia yeah I, I absolutely agree and like like I said we've heard people say 
Well, that was an NFL throw from Jalen Daniels. And you're right, it was. The one to, to Quentin Skinner. And, and again, just to circle back, that was only Jalen Daniels' fourth mm-hmm. career start. And now he's going to have to go on the road at West Virginia, which is a pretty tough environment, really. So the fact that he was able to, to make some nice throws, to have some success in the two-minute drill, this, that, and the other, I think that bodes well for mm-hmm. his confidence. Because we know KU is going to want to run the ball. But we also know that West Virginia was very effective at stopping the run against Pittsburgh. So at some point, it's a pretty safe assumption that Jalen Daniels is going to have to step up and make some clutch throws against West Virginia, probably at multiple times during the game, whether it's third and long, whether it's late in the half or late at the end of the game. He's probably going to have to step up and make some plays. So for him to be able to do that against Tennessee Tech and use that to build upon going to West Virginia, that that's huge because if KU can't run the ball successfully early in that game against West Virginia, they're going to have to lean on Jalen Daniels to yeah. probably get some first downs. I mean, we've talked about it already with the wide receiver situation. Who's going to be their go-to guy? Well, Jalen Daniels has to get him the ball, obviously, first. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. Because that is, I think that will be interesting. Like, how committed will KU be to the running game? If, if, if on their first two or three drives, West Virginia is just stuffing them, what happens? What, what's, what's the thought process on the KU sideline? Are they going to stick with it? Are they going to try to lean more on Jalen Daniels? I'll be curious to see what happens regarding that aspect of the game because it's very possible. I mean, Pittsburgh averaged, I think, less than three yards a carry against, yeah. against West Virginia. Yeah, it was 2.9. Yeah. And to be fair, um, that does take into account because we know in college it, it, I know, it's so if dumb. you get sacked, right? And, and I, so I should probably sift that out and see how much Pittsburgh actually would have ran for if you're just basing it on, on like running plays. Uh, but like, for instance, last year, it's kind of the same thing. Kansas was held to 87 rushing yards on 27 carries. So that's under four yards a carry. Not totally ideal with what you're looking for last year against West Virginia. But Jalen Daniels had 12 carries for nine yards. And West Virginia, it looks like they had two sacks. So I, I don't know how many yards you lost on those sacks. But let's say you lost 10 yards on the two sacks combined. If you take that out, that's you know 25 carries for 97 yards. So you're closer to the four yards per carry. Looks like in the West Virginia or in the uh, Pittsburgh game, West Virginia, five times. yeah, they had five sacks. So, again, I don't know how many yards they lost on all of them. But, like, Keaton Slovis, for instance, had seven carries for negative 20 yards. So, like, let's just take away <laughs> Keaton Slovis's carries and yards. You're You'd be at, what, 32 carries? Yeah, 32 for, for 96, which yeah. still isn't great. It's still just three yards per carry. But it looks a little bit better when you look at it that way. But, yeah, I, I don't think you can expect KU to just run all over West Virginia in this one. So, a lot is on the shoulders of Jalen Daniels, and, and showing what he did in the two-minute drill, I, th- I think that uh, gives you a little bit more confidence. Uh, the other thing that I found of note from the offense in that first game was the usage of the tight ends. We know KU wants to use their tight ends in a lot of different ways, and that allows them to be a more multiple offense because you can play a, a formation where you have one tight end in the game who's split out wide. You can play with two tight ends on the line of scrimmage. You can play with a tight end and an H-back. You can play with three tight ends. It just... It opens up the playbook, different formations, things that you can do. Helps you in the running game in a lot of different ways. And I think we saw a lot of that versatility from the different players. So Trevor Cardell didn't play in the game, and I would expect that to change whenever he is. I'm just kind of assuming he's healthy. Um, or, Or I'm assuming he was hurt for that game. Last season, KU didn't block well enough as far as a unit for the tight end group to make that a viable option. It's one thing if you want to play a lot of tight ends, if they're good at blocking, if they're good at influencing what you want to do and doing it well. It's another thing if you're just playing a guy to play them. For instance, I think back to the Les Miles day. 
when days when Ben Miles was in at fullback and Ben Miles really struggled at fullback. And it was like, okay, I understand you want a fullback to do this, but it's not happening. So why are you playing a fullback? At that point, just spread out the formation, play an extra receiver, play an extra tight end, whatever it is. With the tight ends in that opening game, they were dominant helping you to run block. Mason Fairchild had the two catches for six yards and the touchdown, including on that two-minute drive. But it was really the run blocking for me that stood out. KU's three highest-graded run blockers on pro football focus in the week one game. They were your tight ends. Jared Casey was your highest-rated run blocker. We saw him in as a tight end. We saw him in as like that H-back fullback that's kind of coming in motion, setting big blocks. Tavita Noah, we saw a little less of. He came in more and more as the game kind of went on. He was your second-best run blocker. And Mason Fairchild, who struggled as a run blocker a season ago, he was your third-best run blocker in that season opening game. So for KU to ideally do what they want, they need the tight ends to perform well, and they did in the opening game, and that wasn't even your full arsenal of tight ends. I think that speaks well to what KU could get from that position group this season. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that Andy Kolnicki has a bunch of formations designed up for various things. I mean, we saw some of it with running backs, and it extends to the tight ends, right? Like we, like you said, Jared Casey can come in as an H-back or whatever. He's not not your prototypical tight end in terms of size, but so he can play some different positions. And, yeah, I mean, if, if you've got three tight ends, I mean, listen, Andy Kulnicki has said it himself. If he had ten offensive linemen that were his best players, he was going to find a way to get them all on the field, right? So I have no doubt that he's in there just cooking up as many different formations as he can, figuring out how he wants to get these different guys on the field, whether it's two running backs, two tight ends, one running back, three tight ends, whatever the formation might be. It's obvious to me, and we I think we saw just a tiny bit of it against Tennessee Tech, and I'm expecting we'll see quite a bit more as the season progresses, of finding ways to get these guys on the field in different ways and making sure that the, the offense maintains balance with run and the pass with different tight ends and running backs and whatnot. So, it's, it's very, very interesting, and, and that's something that I want to continue to keep an eye on throughout the season is just how many different weird, wacky formations are we going to see from Andy Kulnicki and from this KU offense with different personnel in different places and this, that, and the other. You've got four really quality running backs. You've got three tight ends who look pretty good. You've got a fourth who was injured, I think, before in that game. So there's a lot of different guys that are going to get on the field one way or the other, and I'm just very curious to see how Andy Kulnicki continues to sort of jigsaw puzzle those guys together and how he wants to to employ everybody on that offense mm -hmm. and yeah i i think it kind of starts with the idea that you can't do all those things that you want to do unless the tight ends are playing well so that you can play them and that was a good first step from what we saw in the opening game the other bit of note was kind of the the running back usage i mentioned it a little bit yesterday that you had Devin Neal play 22 snaps and then you had kai thomas daniel highshaw savion morrison at 13 11 and 8 respectively but in the end, Devin Neal only had four carries, which when you're averaging, what, 27 yards per carry, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and in the opening game against Tennessee Tech, it didn't really matter. But you have to assume he's going to get a lot more of, of a load starting this Saturday. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think KU would be remiss if they don't get him the ball 15 to 20 times a game, whether it's whether it's in the run or pass. I don't think it matters. But. When you've, you've, they've obviously have a talented group of running backs, but Devin Neal has displayed that he is clearly the best right now. And if you're KU and you want to win games, get your best players the ball. Devin Neal, probably the best offensive player on the team right now.
If I told you 25 touches by Devin Neal on Saturday, would you take the over or the under? I would honestly, I would probably take the under. I don't think I don't think he'll get there. 20. I would uh, maybe over on 20. Okay, so somewhere in that range, like 18 to 22, is is kind of. Which I, I think is right. You still have to get all these other running backs touches, but it's definitely going to be a lot more than what yeah, we saw on Saturday. For instance, Savion Morrison had he only played eight snaps, but I think he had seven carries. <laughs> right, so every time he was on the field, he got the ball. Mm-hmm. And same thing with um, same thing with Daniel Highshot. I think he also had five or six carries, and he that you know that was half the snaps that he played. So when those guys get on the field, they're going to get the ball. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell in less than 20 minutes. Coming up next, we'll let you listen in to what Lance Lightbolt had to say yesterday at KU Media Availability. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson and joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, covering the Kansas City Chiefs, which you can check out all that coverage in the Kansas City Star over the course of the season. And you know, Jesse, when you look at how difficult the AFC West is going to be, it's obviously going to be really hard for the Chiefs to put together a season like we've seen in the past couple years, maybe in terms of overall record. Could you make the case, though, that this year's team could be better than last year's team, but that the record might not show it? I think you could make the case. Um, would you? I, I just, I, I wouldn't. I think my struggle is this. I mean, I know people want to talk about Tyree Kill and all the comments he's had lately, and hey, you know, he hasn't ingratiated himself to Chiefs fans, all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, the guy was—he's a future Hall of Famer, you know. And if this works, I mean, part of this is hey, you got Patrick Mahomes. He can do different things. He can make other pieces better. That's what the Chiefs are banking on. You also have Andy Reid, and he is a good coach, and he has made pieces better over the course of his history. So both of those are good things. But, you know, I, it's just, I hesitate to be like, hey, you lose a Hall of Famer and you get better. Now, where you would do it is if you're the Chiefs, you would say, okay, uh, everything happened this offseason. You got younger with the draft, and all of a sudden the defense is a lot better. And maybe the offense takes a step back, but overall you're working with, you know, the third or fourth best offense and now a league average defense, which sort of makes you a a really good football team. But um, I think everything they did, honestly, was a look to the future uh, this offseason. You know, or not everything, but the Tyree Kill trade is is basically saying, hey, everybody else, if you want to throw your chips in the middle and try to win this year and next year, that's fine. Uh, Brett Beach, the GM for the Chiefs, is saying, Hey, Patrick Mahomes has signed a long time in Kansas City. If you get younger, if you draft right, if you get these rookies in place, all of a sudden you can reset your franchise and have a salary cap in the situation, which is very beneficial for not only right now when you can compete, but also the long term and Patrick Mahomes maybe winning multiple Super Bowls. So you can make that argument. I, I just, it's tough for me to say, hey, you lost Hall of Famer and you're better overall. It's going to be really difficult to replace Tyreek Hill. I think we all should understand that going into this season. Yeah, I, I think that the. The argument that you'd have to make if you're going to say this team is better than last year's team, and again, even if I do think they're equal to last year's team, you're probably looking at a worse record just because of how difficult the schedule is. But it's the idea that 
I think both offensively and defensively, maybe you're more in line with what the scheme is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like there's more, I guess, balance at receiver. There's more unpredictability with who are going to be the, the main targets. And then defensively, you have more of what they've talked about with these fits at safety to where everything's interchangeable and defenses won't know which guy is coming. So I guess, how much does that matter to you? Because you're right, you lose so much with Tyreek Hill. Like, is, is that enough to offset at least some of that? Or do you think that is just something that is off-season fodder in the same way that, um, like, no matter what, if, if you're reading, like, a, a college football or an NFL preview and a team has a new coordinator, that's always talked about as, like, oh, well, of course the offense is going to be better. They have a new coordinator. When in reality, that's not always the case. So uh, which of those do you think it, it provides? Do you think it is actually a positive for the Chiefs to have those things, or do you think that's something we're just talking about that that's kind of being manufactured but won't really lead to positive results? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to – you know me, Derek. I'm trying to guard against bias here because, again, I was at all the training camp practices, and every beat writer for every NFL team is going to tell you that that team looks amazing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. oh, everything's going to work out. And I think I saw the Athletic. I believe it was the Athletic that did a preview series for the over-under win totals that had each of the beat writers pick over-under for their own team. And I think it was like 24 or 25 of the beat writers took over for their team. <laughs> uh, I mean, and again, this is – like, I, this is not knocking the athletic. I, I love reading the athletic. I think they do a great job. It's just, it's human nature, right? What you're close to, you're like, well, the Chiefs negative. They're not going to be that bad because X, Y, Z. And the Chiefs positive, they're going to be fine and even better than you think because of X, Y, Z. You know, part of this is probably the Chiefs' fault because they look so good with their first team in the preseason. You know, their first team defense got all stops and forced all punts. And the first team offense scored a touchdown every time they touched it. But you examine a little bit deeper. There were moments where Patrick Mahomes was looking for a receiver, looking for a receiver, looking for a receiver, couldn't find anybody, and then he just simply made a crazy play. You know what I mean? And that's what kept these drives going. Now, listen, Patrick Mahomes is on the team, so, so will he make crazy plays this year? Yeah, he will. But I think there's some of this, like, it sounds great in theory, like, oh, there's always going to be a guy open every single play. Maybe, right? I mean, was Marquez Valdez-Scanling always open for the Chiefs or for the Packers in previous years? Not always. You know what I mean? Was, was McCall Hardman always open for the Chiefs in previous years? Was Juju Smith-Schuster always a, playing at a Pro Bowl level for the Steelers? I mean, all these sound really good in theory. Uh, it's just you, you have to get to reality at some point. And so, listen, I, I understand what the Chiefs did. I, I think it's smart what the Chiefs did. They're basically banking saying, look, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are such an advantage. They can take lesser things at other positions and make it work because they're really, really good. And I think that's a really smart strategy to take. I'm just saying, in theory and in practice, are two different things, and we're about to see in practice what that looks like for the Chiefs. Not to mention, I think one worry for the Chiefs on both ends is, I think a lot of the success the Chiefs had offensively is that Patrick Mahomes has been on the same page as the receivers, like Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I think defensively, one of the great things they had the past couple years is they had some continuity there, and a guy like Tyron Matthew get guys lined up in the right places. Both of those units now, offense and defense, have to worry a little bit about week one, is everybody on the same page? Does everybody know what they're doing? Because for Mahomes, you know, if it doesn't work out, sometimes you can throw it away. Worst case scenario, though, is you think, uh, you know, Juju's going one way, he goes the other way, you throw it up there, and it's an interception, an uncontested interception. So just stuff to look at for the first week. And I'm not denying that the Chiefs could be a very, very good football team by the end of the season, but there could be some bumps away along the way early, and that might be something that could show its way uh, in this Arizona game, especially on the road and especially in this first game where even Andy Reid today admitted, that some things out there are a little bit of a mystery when it comes to this team and how good they're going to fare. 
Well, so if I did tell you that this team is is going to, I don't know, win the division or win similar games to last year, you know, win 12 games or something like that, does that mean that it would probably have to come from a sizable jump from the defense? Yeah, I, I think so. And or, again, so, you know, I talked with Patrick Mahomes in training camp about this, and I asked him, what do you think you need? This year, what what do you need to do to be better, or how do you need to change? And he talked about how there were times like pre-snap last year where he would just kind of determine before the play even started, like I see this matchup with Tyreek, I think it's a good matchup, I'm going to go that direction. You know what I mean? So that's how he has to change this year. Is that it's going to be more let the play develop, go through your reads, see who is open, and take advantage of that. But like I said, I mean, if you have Tyreek Hill. It's a future Hall of Famer. It's a great strength. And you look back to the Bills game, I was bring this up. I mean, how many plays did Tyreek Hill make for the Chiefs in the final three minutes that basically won them, won them the game twice? You know what I mean? He made the 75-yard reception. He got that reception early in the 13-second play call, got him a bunch of yards when basically no other play in the NFL could have gotten that many yards. So it's a luxury to have him, but yet, I mean, what are you talking about with Patrick Mahomes if you don't have him? Is he... 90% is effective? Is he still 95% is effective? If you force him to do other things, is he still 98% is effective? So I guess what I would say is that this Patrick Mahomes is going to be different. It's not going to be as easy for him, but once they get used to it, it's going to be almost as effective with cheaper weapons, if that makes any sense. So that along with, you know, I think the great hope for the Chiefs, not only this year and in the future, is the drafts that they've had. And they drafted 10 players. I remember... You know, thinking in before they draft those guys, hey, they're going to have to trade some picks because they don't have basically 10 positions on the roster to have rookies. They kept nine of them on the active roster. So the fact that Brett Beach and his staff targeted guys in the draft, got them in, and, and almost all of them have exceeded expectations to this point. I mean, what if George Karloftis has eight or nine or ten sacks? What if Trent McDuffie is sort of a lockdown corner, at least fundamentally sound in his first year? What if Brian Cook steps into that, you know, dime role for the Chiefs and plays much better than Daniel Sorensen did in his previous couple of years. I mean, what if all those things come together and all of a sudden you have these guys all that are 22, 23 years old on these long-term cheap contracts, all of a sudden you kind of rethink what's possible for the Chiefs. So I think it would be a combination of those two. If, if Mahomes and Reed can be basically 90 to 95% of themselves without Tyree Kill and the new weapons they have that are cheaper, and this defense goes above expectations because of these rookies that they brought in and they drafted well, then all of a sudden you look at this and saying, hey, the Chiefs might be further along than even they expected when they started the draft here a few months ago. Right now, if you had to prognosticate with you know, some of the odds that are out here, the Chiefs are sitting at 10.5 for the over-under of wins. They're still the favorite to win the AFC West, but it's certainly a smaller margin this year with the improvements that have been made around the division. Would you still be picking them to win the division to, to win 11 games or – uh, do, do you think that that's going to be, uh, I don't know, a, a tough proposition to get to? Yeah, I get a grace period here because uh, I haven't been in the NFL media up until now. So if I choose to pick the Chargers, which I'm going to do to win the division, <laughs> I don't get penalized for the last 10 years when other people have picked the Chargers to win the division. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the Chiefs' schedule is brutal, and that's the one thing you mentioned, uh, Derek, that we have to mention. I mean, it's easy to just shrug it off without, like, actually looking at it. But then go look at it. I mean, the Chiefs are a good football team, right? We think they're a good football team. But 
even a good football team, you go to Arizona week one, and they were, what, a three-and-a-half to four-point favorite? I think that's up to five-and-a-half or six now, just based off some way the betters are leaning. But, I mean, you're a really good football team, and that those odds in the NFL would put you about 60% to win, 60 to 65% to win. So it's going to be tough for the Chiefs. I mean, it really is. So I would uh, – I mean, I'm probably, like, the only person in the state of Kansas or Missouri who would say this, but I've stuck with them being 10-7 and seven this year. I think that that will put them on the edge of a playoff spot, which would be um, not where many people are, are predicting them, but their schedule compared to, like, the Broncos, especially in the division, is ridiculous. The Chargers even get easier opponents than them. And, uh, again, there's going to be some growing pains, I think, early in the season that, that could lead to them having some struggles early on. So I would stick with 10-7. But the thing about this is we, we can talk this in circles all we want. If the Chiefs are 10-7, and seven, if they're able to sneak in the playoffs in a very competitive AFC with those seven spots, who wants to face the Chiefs anywhere? No. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, the receivers know what they're doing. The defensive backs have grown up. The rookies are playing well. They understand how they should do this offense. I mean, who wants to play a home game, even, against Patrick Mahomes? Nobody. So, I think the Chiefs can put themselves in great shape, even at 10-7, and seven, to make a run in the playoffs. But I think 10-7 and seven could be about where they end up this year, and uh, you're hoping the rest of the AFC kind of shakes out so that that could get you the five, six, or seven spot in the wild card. Give yourself a chance at a playoff run here. Because, like I said, the big picture of this offseason was Brett Beach saying, uh, basically saying with the trade Tyreek Hill, like, they're going to try to win this year. Of course they're going to try to win with Patrick Mahomes. But this is about taking a step back and pushing open that window for Patrick Mahomes to win now, three years from now, six years from now, ten years from now. And if things go to plan, then the Chiefs are giving themselves a chance at the playoffs every single year between now and then. And if they go 10-7, and seven, I think they'll give themselves a chance this year, too. Hey, Jesse, you mentioned the rookies, and I want to go back to after the draft. Virtually every single draft grade was Chiefs A+, Chiefs A+, on all that. And I think the Chiefs are putting a lot of pressure on the rookies, specifically on the defensive side of the ball with Carl Loftus and McDuffie and Cook, like you said. I mean, what, do you think there is a possibility that those guys can reach the expectations that have kind of been put on them over the course of this offseason in training camp? Yeah, so it's, I mean, I think that was the biggest story of training camp was the rookies because, you know, you naturally expect, you draft 10 guys and a lot of them late round guys, you naturally expect two or three to get cut. They just don't work out. You know, that, that's, that's just attrition in the NFL. And instead it was like, well, this McDuffie guy looks as good or better than they thought. And Karloff just is opening eyes. He had two sacks in the first two games. And, okay, Brian Cook's coming on the dime. You know, he probably can be better than, uh, what, what Daniel Sorensen was a year ago. And, oh, Leo Chanel, he's making these big hits in the run game, might be a little bit ahead of what they thought. You know, you just kind of keep adding all these guys together, and you say, wow. I mean, they, they really added not only pieces, but they freed up salary cap room and potentially could have these guys very cheap for a long period of time. I think maybe the, the, the hope for the Chiefs and the good news for the Chiefs is, like, McDuffie's got to play, and Carlotta's has to play. I mean, they, they have other guys at those positions, uh, I mean, more so at defensive end than that at cornerback, but, but they sort of needed high floor picks at those spots. And I think that's what they have in Karloftis and McDuffie. Like, I think a bad season for them is probably like they're still playing a lot of snap and they're still solid. And they're, they're less of the high risk, high reward players that you sometimes see, uh, that are taken early on because teams are just dreaming on upside. I think the Chiefs are okay if those guys are just solid this first year. You know, if George Karloftis can play, 50 to 60 to 70% of the snaps and be solid, 
then, then the Chiefs are good. If McDuffie can just kind of hold down that one side and he'll get beat sometimes and play his own you know, coverage well and, and be a smart player who can close quickly, that's fine. That's what they need from those spots. So, I, again, living up to expectations kind of depends on the expectations you set for these guys. But I think that is one of the biggest things that came out of this training camp is that the Chiefs have gotten about all they could ask for out of these rookies. They kept all of them, including the practice squad, nine on the active roster and then uh, one on the practice squad. But the fact that they drafted those guys, brought them in, and all those guys seem to be performing at least about at expectations, if not probably eight of the ten of them better than that, that's a really positive sign for the future, and we'll see if it continues. But uh, as far as expectations go, I think as long as they can just you know hit their floor, then the Chiefs should be okay. Yeah, my impression of specifically McDuffie, based on the Chiefs' moves and what they've done, is the Chiefs seem to think that he can become cornerback one maybe this season. Do you agree with that? Do you think it's possible he could become the number one guy at corner for the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, they've stuck him on the outside from the beginning. They've talked about rotating him in as the uh, nickel, but then they've kept LeJarius Sneed uh, as the slot guy. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that – and and that's the other thing is that, you know, he's had limited snaps, but all indications are he's handled just fine. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's come in, he's understood the defense, he hasn't made big blunders, uh, and we know that Steve Sagnola, based on his history, he's not a guy that has always just loved to throw rookies out there um, he kind of has to be forced to, if you will. And I think that McDuffie's done nothing to make him want to take him out of there. So I think it's a positive for Trent. And I think, again, that's kind of talking about the high floor of these guys, is that we haven't seen them bottom out. We haven't seen them blow a coverage. We haven't seen them completely in the wrong place. We've seen them basically doing what they need to do early in their careers. And I think that has to be encouraging for the Chiefs early in the season because they're going to need guys like McDuffie, Carl Office, and Cook to play right away. All right, well, Jesse, uh, before we let you go, I guess we're kind of running out of time without any actual questions about the Cardinals game, so I'll leave you with this. Kiss, Mary kill. Kansas City covering four and a half points. I, I know the line's been kind of bouncing around. Uh, the game hitting the over, and then Jesse Newell hitting up and in and out while in Phoenix. Ooh. Oh, all good questions. Um I will kiss me hitting up an in and out in Phoenix and potentially a casino as well. Um, I guess I will, uh, I will, uh, I guess I'll marry the over. I mean, I don't, I don't love it, honestly. I think that, uh, I think betters, it's kind of like nobody wants to bet the under uh, ever because it's just not fun to cheer for. So I think betters might be, might be inching that up a little bit, but you know, I can see both these defenses struggling. Uh, against the particular offenses they're going against. So I will kill the Chiefs on the four and a half. I do think they win. Obviously, Andy Reid has all the success in season openers, uh, but I, I think that line's been pushed up too much. So I, I see the Chiefs winning a close one, and I think it being it can end up closer than that four and a half. But as long as I get a win, that'd be a great start because we know that uh, Thursday looms with the Chargers, and if that was 0-1 Chiefs going against the Chargers, uh, then all of a sudden you're, you're – you're really seeing this season start off in a five-day span as a very, very important stretch for the Chiefs as it relates to the rest of their year. He is Jesse Newell. You'll be able to check out all his coverage with that game and everything going on with the Chiefs in the Kansas City Star and at KCStar.com. Jesse, appreciate the time as always, man. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. That's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I think I said KCStar.com, KansasCity.com. With uh, Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Our NFL season betting preview next. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. 
We uh, are going to get to a college football week one segment coming up here. Some more KU football talk in the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got some uh, more Lance Leipold audio to share with you on today's show. But uh, the NFL season starts tomorrow. Kind of crept up on us, and we get the Bills-Rams to open things up. So we are going to do our NFL season betting preview. And it's unfortunate that betting wasn't legal in Kansas last year. <laughs> I placed $1,800 of fake bets on this thing. I brought back over 3200 bucks. That would have been a profit of nearly $1,500 in 2021. So now that betting is legal, I will probably lose money. That's just how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Nick uh, is, you know, this is your first time doing this. So yep. maybe you'll have the good luck on your side. It, it seems unlikely, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get into this. We're going to be picking our division winners. We're going to be picking three other teams to make the playoffs. We're going to be picking our awards, so MVP, Offensive and Defense Player of the Year, and then you get one other award pick of your choice, Comeback, Coach, Offensive, Defense, Rookie of the Year, one of those. AFC winner, NFC winner, and your Super Bowl winner. Simple as that. And I do want to make note of one thing. So you can take this advice. You don't have to. But as we get into the divisional picks... Over the last 10 seasons, 10 teams have made the jump from last to first from the year prior in the division. Here's the last place teams from last year in the division. Baltimore, Jacksonville, New York Jets, Broncos, Giants, Lions, Panthers, Seahawks. Two has happened twice in the past decade. Not a bad idea to pick which team you think of that group has the best chance to win the division. And honestly, there's one pretty obvious one, and then there's another one which would be like not that surprising if they won that division. So there's there's two probably pretty okay picks here. Um, can you cue the uh, the betting music here as we get into our uh, betting preview for the NFL season? We'll start with the uh, divisional ones. We'll start with the AFC North. Who do you like in the AFC North? And keep in mind, again, this is our betting preview, so this doesn't necessarily mean you have to believe this team will win it. Correct. But based on the odds, that gets factored in as well. So who do you like in the North? Well, you just said it that 10 teams made the jump from last to first from the year prior in their division. This year, it's going to be Baltimore. They're going to be they're way healthier, right? Last year, I've never seen a team mm. get more unlucky with injuries than Baltimore did last season. They've got most of those guys back. Lamar, he's looking to make a statement. He wants to be the highest paid quarterback in the league. He's going to go off. Baltimore's going to win the division. Yeah, Cincinnati is not even the favorite to win this division. So Baltimore's the obvious one that I was kind of saying in regards to if you're going to pick a team who finished last to win their division, like they're the very obvious one. They're their favorite to win the division. But because Cincinnati is very good, that lowers the odds there. And I would be tempted to take Cincinnati because they have lesser odds, but I think they're going to have kind of that Super Bowl hangover season. So, yeah, I agree. I will say, though, it's I feel like it's gotten to the point now where Everyone's saying, oh, yeah. well, Cincinnati's going to have that Super Bowl hangover. Cincinnati's due for a regression. Oh. Are they really, though? Are they really going to regress? For, for yeah. my fantasy football team's sake, I hope not, because I have Jamar Chase. Well, you're right. Typically, when we have a Super, a Super Bowl hangover, it's you're not really expecting it. It's like, oh, they'll still be fine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Maybe we should say the Rams could be the Super Bowl hangover team this year, and the Bengals might be fine. I guess we'll see. Could be. But I do like the Ravens, plus 140. You're right. All those injuries. Yeah, plus 140, yeah. AFC South. Who do you like in the South? It seemed right. Titans and Colts are the, the heavy yeah, favorites. Yeah, the Colts were the favorites. You want so some 30-1 action on the Texans? 
I thought about it. <laughs> Davis Mills leading him to the promised land. That would be wild. That would be so wild. But no, instead I've decided to go with Tennessee uh, plus 175 because I didn't want to take the Colts, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Derrick Henry is going to have a comeback year. Mm. Ryan Tannehill, another guy that's probably out to try to prove something because now everyone's like, oh, no more A.J. Brown. Ryan Tannehill is going to go back to sucking. Will that be true? We'll find out. See, this is one I did take the Colts, but I honestly, it's a coin flip. So, honestly, you might be on the right side here because is there that much of a difference between the Colts and the Titans, like how good they're going to be, and the Titans yeah, are I mean, just getting I mean, better odds? Think, yeah, think about the two teams. Both have elite running backs, yeah. Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. Both have average to maybe a little below average quarterbacks. I mean, Matt Ryan was an MVP, but even still, at this at point, this point yeah. he's probably average to yeah. maybe a little above average. Right, and then beyond that, both have pretty good defenses. Mm -hmm. The Colts' defense is pretty good. The Titans' defense, although I did see the Titans, their top pass rusher, his name slips my mind. Tore yeah, ACL uh, Harold Landry. Yeah, Harold Landry tore his ACL. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a big blow. But but yeah, these are two pretty similar teams, and I'm going with Tennessee. Yeah, that does convince me making we. But I'm just going to stick with my guns here. I'll go Indianapolis. I like the defense a little bit better. Tennessee's best part about their defense is their their. Like front in the pass rush, that obviously hurts. I think Indy's just more solid throughout the defense. I do think that these two teams were not that... I know by record it was like three or four games or something last year. I don't think they were that far apart last year. I think Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz, even though Matt Ryan is, yeah, he's not like a top 10 quarterback anymore, I think that's a pretty sizable difference what they'll get at the quarterback position compared to what they had with Carson Wentz. I think if you, if you approach somebody on the street and say, would you rather have Matt Ryan or Ryan Tannehill? I... I think most people would probably take Matt Ryan. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to go the Colts. I don't think – I mean, it'd probably be like 65, 35, 60, 40. I don't mm -hmm. think it would be, like, overwhelming. But I honestly am not even that really tempted by the Texans or the Jaguars in this. No, not at all. Well, like, I mean, Jaguars, if the, maybe. If, but if Jacksonville still, was, like, 15 to 1, I might think about it. They're plus 750, which is not, like, that great. Yeah. Of a value there. Uh, AFC East, the Bills are the heavy favorite there. Are you going to venture away from them and go someone else? No, I'm taking the Bills. Minus, minus 240. Uh, I I just – is Mac Jones really going to lead the Patriots to a division title? Probably not. No. The Dolphins are obviously an intriguing team, but I didn't really feel comfortable picking them either. And then the Jets – are the Jets. I mean, I'm not going to pick the Jets. Yeah, if I was going to pick anybody – it would have to be the Patriots, like anybody besides the Bills, I should say. At 5-1, to one, there is some value there, like Bill Belichick. I, I think we've all come to this conclusion that, like, Mac Jones just is what he is. And and I think I'm I'm on that side of things, that, yeah, Mac Jones just is what he is, but how not, crazy is bad. that? He's not I know, bad. but what I'm saying is, like, he was not bad as a rookie, and we've just come to this conclusion that, like, oh, yeah, he's just going to be but not bad for life. What if he does take a big step into year two? It's the age-old question of... Is Mac Jones going to lead your team to a division title or Super Bowl? But I guess that's what I'm saying. He did all that last year, and we were like, yeah, he was solid, but I don't think he'll ever be any better. What if he is? I mean, he was still a rookie. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, why can't true. he take a big stop? Oh, I, yeah, I guess that's fair. So I would be tempted to do that because of the odds in play there. But, yeah, I, I don't see the Bills losing this division. To me, the Bills are the team that's going to get the one seed. Uh, in the AFC, especially when you look at the divisions a lot easier than like the path that anybody from the AFC West has to go to, which brings us yeah. into the AFC West. Who do you like? I'm going with my heart here, Derek. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm picking the Chiefs. Plus I don't think it's bad. Plus 175 is pretty good. 
pretty pretty good value, I think, for the Chiefs. I mean, obviously, it's a tough division. Chiefs have a tough schedule, but listen, ever since Andy Reid has gotten to the Chiefs, they have absolutely owned the division. Their, their record against the division is like 901 mm-hmm. since Andy Reid has gotten there. That's an official stat, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Look that up. Who is the one? <laughs> I think they lost to the Chargers, I think, at one point. But 901 since Andy Reid has gotten to the Chiefs in the division. So I'm going to ride that. I'm going to ride Andy Reid and obviously Patrick Mahomes as well. Chiefs are still taking home division. I I do like the fact that you can get the Chiefs with plus odds. But I just feel like this is one of those years where maybe the Chiefs are the wild card. Like, I'm kind of leaning with Jesse Newell in that regard. I'm tempted by the Chargers at 220, but I feel like that's everyone's pick to unseat the Chiefs. And we've seen this before so many times with the Chargers and also the fact that they just find a way to Chargers things up. You know what I mean? Like That is very much a term. So I'm actually going to go with Denver because I said this last year, and and I feel like I should be a man of my word here. Not only do you get better odds than the Chargers at plus 260, I said last year at one point, you know, the Broncos were a fine team, and they, they almost beat the Chiefs even without, like, they had terrible quarterback play. Drew Locke, horrible. Um, Teddy Bridgewater was not much. I said last year, if you give them a good quarterback, they probably have the best roster around the quarterback in the division. Now, improvements have been made. Like, the Chargers add Khalil Mack. The Raiders add Devontae Adams. So, it's not that cut and dry anymore. But I think they had the best division or, or the best defense in the division last year. Would you agree with that? Uh, probably, but I mean, it's not. The Chargers were horrible defensively good. last year. No, the Raiders' defense is not very exactly. Good. So I mean, that's but, not really saying much. I mean, but they had a good defense last year. They were they a top did. ten defense in the NFL. They did. So they, if they have the best defense in the NFL, they have in the division. In the division, I'm sorry. Um, running back wise, they have as good of a running back as the division goes with Javante Williams. Like, sure, you might take yeah. Austin Eckler or whatever, but like, it's it's comparable. Receiving core wise, they don't have the like star number one, but they, they have a good receiving the, core. They lost Tim Patrick though. Yeah, yeah, but still, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ yeah. Hamler, like that's a yeah. solid receiving core. You know what I mean? That might even be better than the Chiefs. So, yeah. um, listen, Derek, I gotta be honest with you. I was legitimately mm-hmm. shocked, and I'm still shocked mm-hmm. by how much love the books are giving Denver. I don't understand it. I, I don't. I, I don't mean, get. Still I mean, I understand. In the division here. You just listed off all these reasons why we should be ha- happy about Denver. I I don't understand it. I I don't think they're going to be that good at all. Period. Okay. I mean, what? I mean, what? They're going to win like seven, eight games. Good job, Denver. Whatever. I don't. I don't under. I don't understand. I was so surprised as I went through all the odds, and even Russell Wilson's like, I think he's like fourth or fifth in the MVP odds. I was huh? like, what? Are you serious? I'm just I was just really surprised by the amount of love that Denver got. I mean, this is Russell Wilson's win totals by year. I, I know it's it's a little skewed because early in his career you had that great defense and he wasn't you had Marshawn Lynch, but eventually he became the guy of the offense. So these are the win totals by year until last year. Last year he went six and eight, but remember he was injured. These are his win totals from twenty twelve through twenty twenty. 11, 13, 12, 10, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12. They're gonna be a nine plus win team. That doesn't guarantee you win the division, but I think that gives you a shot. I like the defense. I like the receivers. So I'm going to go Denver there, plus 260. What about, since those are the teams we picked to win the division, who would you go with for your wild card? So this would basically be pacing a bet on teams to make the playoffs. All right, so I got the Colts mm-hmm. at minus 190. I got the Dolphins at plus 140. And I have the Chargers at minus 200. Those are my three wild card picks. And I, I thought about throwing Cincinnati in there, but the, the odds for Cincinnati were not that good, so instead I picked the Dolphins. 
think that's the reason why I went with the Dolphins. Yeah, so if I'm not taking the Chargers and Chiefs to win the division, I'm just going to pencil both those in. Minus 200, minus 210. Hate those odds, but I'll get them in there. I uh, a little tempted by the Titans one says I didn't pick them to win the division, but I'll go with Cincinnati minus 130. I don't love those. I feel like there's going to be one surprise team. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I was kind of surprised that the Colts were minus 190 to make the playoffs. Yeah. That seems pretty high. Yeah, like maybe you could find a surprise. Like, what I mean, would you I think mean, about? Like the Dolphins, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that could make like, some sense. Like, the Dolphins are plus 140 and the Patriots are plus 160, so it's not even that much of a difference. No, that's the thing. Like, I would be tempted by doing that Patriots one at plus 160. Uh, the Titans one is only plus 100. How about this? Would it be crazy for the Steelers to make it plus 350? No, I don't think it would be crazy for the Steelers to make it at all. I, w- I was looking at the Steelers as a potential pick. Mike Tomlin's never gone under 500 in his career Yeah, as a coach. I mean, hmm. Mitch Trubisky turns it around or, you know, whatever, and suddenly— and They, they just have the best defense in the NFL, and, like, they get—like, that was last year. Their offense wasn't good, but the defense carried them in. So uh, those that, might that be was, interesting. I was—, I was I'll be I was boring legitimately, here, legitimately considering the Steelers. I okay. did not do it, though. Okay, let's go to the NFC side of things with the divisions and whatnot. Uh, who do you like in the NFC North? All right, in the North, I'm going for a crazy pick just okay. for odds, just because Detroit plus 1,000. Oh, a little uh, hard knocks crazy. watching hard knocks, yeah. man. Dan Campbell's <laughs> got me pumped up. I'm jacked, ready to run through a wall for that man. Give me the Lions. You know, I, I, okay, to be clear, I thought about taking the Lions for uh, the wild card round. Um, we'll get to that in a second. I, I couldn't get around to them in the division. <laughs> I feel like Minnesota's becoming everybody's, like, NFC dark horse. Yeah. Which I'm just like, no, it's Kirk Cousins. Um, so I'm going to go Green Bay and just feel fine with taking Aaron Rodgers again, minus 175. NFC South. You going away from the Dude, Bucks? This one was so tough because I really did not want to pick the Bucks. It but seemed like <laughs> it's just it's just I hard. I mean, I mean, I love James. There's distractions I there Jameis, though. But I mean, there's the rumor going around about Brady getting like a you know divorce or that yeah. the marriage isn't doing well. I, mean, and, I need to follow up on the mass singer rumors. See what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just had to go with Tampa Bay. I didn't I didn't I don't know minus two fifty. I just yeah. I couldn't see myself. I mean, he struggled anyway. against the Saints since going over there, except for that one playoff game. No, trust me, I really was torn on taking <laughs> the Saints because you won't find a bigger Jameis lover than me. I love Jameis. <laughs> I I agree though. I think you have to go Tampa Bay minus two ten. Tom Brady just wins divisions. He just does. NFC East: Dallas and Philadelphia are the heavy favorites. There. Are you going with one of those? Yeah, I decided to go with. Dallas instead of Philadelphia because I saw that you picked Philadelphia and I wanted mm. to be different, so I picked Dallas. <laughs> okay, I got Philadelphia. I, I wrote this down yesterday at plus 150. The odds actually just shifted. It's Philadelphia plus 140. Dallas is plus 160, so I'll more give you the boosted are, odds more with people Dallas. people are betting on the Eagles. Yeah, I guess so. I, I do like the Eagles a little more. I think they made the win-now moves. You get A.J. Brown on the outside. We know they had a really good offensive line. They had a really good defensive line last year. I think Jalen Hurts, with the pieces around him, I don't think he's going to be much better, but he'll put up better stats this year. And I think this is one of those years. Like, Dallas has a really good year, and then they kind of drop back a little bit. Like, I think that's kind of what happens here to the Cowboys. They had such good turnover luck last season. The amount of turnovers they got was was ridiculous. I don't think that repeats this year. NFC West, uh, you're going to go with the Super Bowl defending champions? No, I decided to go with a, a kind of a more out there pick. I decided to go with Arizona at plus 400. Similarly to Denver, I couldn't figure out why Denver was getting so much love. I don't understand why San Francisco is getting so much love. For some reason, the books seem to think that San Francisco is going to be a great team. So I'm confused by that. 
But it made me happy because I'm going to sit here and take Arizona plus 400 odds because I think mm-hmm. Arizona has a better chance of winning the division than San Francisco does. But mm-hmm. San Francisco is plus 150. So I'm taking the Cardinals at plus 400. Kyler Murray, he's going to put down the controller when Cod comes out. <laughs> he's going to lock in, and the Cardinals are winning the division. Yeah, so I think the Rams kind of do have a Super Bowl hangover a little bit that maybe it costs them the division. I could see them losing the opener to the the Bills. If Arizona beats the Chiefs in week one, those odds of, of them winning the division are going to go way up. Yeah, I mean, they might be plus 150, plus 200 just after that one game. Yeah. I will go San Francisco. I don't love the fact that you have a rookie quarterback in here, but they have everything else you could want. It's not that they have like a star running back. We just know Kyle Shanahan and his offenses and offensive line yeah. leads to them having good rushing teams. You know what you have on the outside with Debo Samuel. The defense should be really good. They had, I mean, they were kind of the Ravens last year of the NFC. So many guys got injured. Nick Bosa got injured, missed all of last season. They still made it to the NFC Championship game. I think Nick Bosa is going to have a big season this year, along with some of the other guys that were injured at different points a season ago. I like the 49ers. I'll take them at plus 150. What about your wild card picks? All right, so I went for the Rams at minus 250 since I didn't pick them to win the division. I went for Minnesota at minus 115 because... Like you said, people are picking Minnesota. Nope, I think Minnesota will make the playoffs. Kirk Cousins can get you to the playoffs. He's not going to win yeah, any yeah. games in the playoffs, but he's going to get you there. And then, I like I said, man, love Jameis. Had to pick, had to pick the Saints. Plus, one, plus 115, I feel like, is really pretty good odds. I think the Saints have a pretty good chance to make the playoffs. So I feel like that's a pretty good pick. Yeah, I, I thought about the Lions at plus 400 kind of for the fun of it, but I, I just... Uh, they just you don't you don't take any fun picks like I did, Eric. No, I I haven't this year. It's kind of boring. Um, I will go the Rams <laughs> minus two fifty. I'll go the Saints plus one fifteen. Here's going to be my one That's kind of off one. the wall a little yeah. bit. I'll go Carolina. You can get the Panthers at plus three fifty. I think that that division, like they could split with the the Saints. Maybe this year the they Bucks could. are down a little bit. Maybe they get a split there. Um, yeah. The Falcons are just going to be horrendous. Like, that might be the worst team in football. So you should be able to get two wins there. I think Baker Mayfield will very much solidify the quarterback position. Not that Baker Mayfield's great, but they had one of the worst strings of quarterback play a season ago with what Sam Darnold and stuff gave them. They do have weapons around the quarterback. Now, a lot of yeah, it's dependent. good receivers. Yeah, can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy? Yeah. I don't know. That's probably not a great thing to bet on. But <laughs> if he does, you have one of the best running backs in the NFL. DJ Moore is one of the top, I don't know, 10 receivers, he's, maybe? Yeah, he's, he's definitely slept on. Yeah. Very good receiver. Very good. Um, Robbie Anderson, you just traded for LaVisca Chenault. Like, those are solid. You have Terrence uh, Marshall, who you just drafted in, like, the third round a year prior. Like, that's that's solid weapons around the quarterback position. Yeah. The defense has been drafting a ton of guys. It looked good early last year, and then it kind of fell apart. So, I don't know really what to expect. I don't love the fact that their, their coach seems to be on the hot seat and stuff, but... I think there's enough there in kind of a down division that I'll take them a plus 350. Let's move on to the award section of things. Who do you like to win NFL MVP? I'm taking Lamar Jackson at plus 2,000. Like I said, he's a man on a mission. His his team is going to be healthy this year, and he's looking to get paid as the highest quarterback, highest paid player in the league. Excuse me. Lamar Jackson, plus I, th- I think plus 2,000 is great odds for Lamar Jackson, so I took him. Yeah, I agree. That is a really good bet. I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes. He's third on the list, plus 900. A lot of what happens in the MVP voting we know is narrative-based, right? It's uh, the story plays in. Certainly stats and performance, that, that matters the most, but the story does matter to maybe get you over the hump there. I think with Tyreek Hill being gone, if the Chiefs have the type of season that they win the division or that they're still putting up big numbers offensively, which I expect them to do. Patrick Mahomes is going to get so much credit for that. 
there still has been like the the small group of people who have said, oh, well, Patrick Mahomes is aided so much by Andy Reid and having all these great weapons. Okay, what are you going to say now when Tyreek Hill is gone and you don't really have any true number one receiver? So I think that helps him in that race, plus 900. I mean, just last year, he was like plus 500. How much has really changed for Patrick Mahomes? You know what I mean? So I like that. If you were going a little further down the board, I would be partially intrigued by... I don't know. I hmm. I was intrigued by Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I thought about that at first, but just running backs just never win. I know, that's why I didn't pick. That's why I didn't pick him. Would Jamar Chase at hundred to one? Okay, would that be his, too crazy? Trey Lance is like plus twenty five hundred. one. And Lamar Jackson's plus two thousand. Mm-hmm. You think Trey Lance is gonna win the MVP? Are okay, you what, joking? What? Do you, Devontae Adams at 100 oh to 1. Raiders force feed him as their top yeah, target. I would, I would take that. I would that take that a crazy. million times over Trey Lance. Yeah, just sprinkle on I don't, there. Again, I don't understand it. We had the it was the Broncos. I mean, what Russell Wilson, I think, is actually above Lamar Jackson in the odds, I'm pretty sure, also. I, I don't understand that. We've got a lot of love for the Niners and for the Broncos for mm-hmm. questionable reasons, in my opinion. Okay, what about offensive player of the year? All right, here I did go for Devontae Adams mm-hmm. because I, I do think he's probably going to get force fed quite a bit. But I, I also think that we're going to see Hunter Renfro vulturing a lot from tomorrow. Like, I think it's going to be like De- Devontae Adams, four catches on this drive for like 50 yards, and then Hunter Renfro, red zone touchdown. That could happen a lot, though, which could hurt his possibility of winning Offensive Player of the Year. But I'm still picking him, plus 1,800. I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought about taking that. I'm going to go with a different receiver, Justin Jefferson. They have the new uh, coach who was the previous coordinator with the Rams, and he supposedly is going to be bringing in a system where Cooper Cup was used so well by the Rams so often. He had a record-breaking season, and they would just find ways to get him into formations where he might be guarded by a linebacker. I think they're going to do that with Justin Jefferson. I'll take him at 12-1. to Defensive player of the year. I'm going Chris Jones here, plus 5,000. There's a good uh, value put, on I'm that. putting on the Chiefs glasses again. Chris Jones, plus 5,000. Great, great value. One of the reasons why I picked it. And Chris Jones is another guy that I think has something to prove this year. As, as we talked about it before, I mean, there was a time period where he was the definitively, without question, the second-best defensive tackle in the entire football league behind Aaron Donald. And he's kind of fallen off that recently. So I think he's going to have a redemption year, plus 5,000. Book it. Yeah, I like that. And if the Chiefs have a really good defense, like if they have a top-10 defense, it's probably because he played really well and he's going to get a lot yeah. of credit for that. Yeah. I do really like um, Micah Parsons at plus 950 here. That was my initial pick, and then I decided, you know, I'm going to go for a little bit more odds. I'm going to go Nick Bosa at 15-1. to 1. I think he has that big season. I like the Niners this year, so I think that pairs well with that. All right, you can either pick Comeback Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Offensive or Defensive Rookie of the Year. Which other of the year are you going to go with? I saw Jameis Winston, and my mm. eyes lit up. <laughs> Give me Jameis Winston, Comeback Player of the Year, plus 550. He's, he's, he's going to go crazy. Michael Thomas is back. Listen. I was one of the biggest Michael Thomas haters of all time because I had him on my fantasy team for like two years in a row, and he just didn't play. He never played. Oh, he was, oh it made me so mad. So, uh, But this year, Michael Thomas is going to he's gonna make me happy. He's going to catch a lot of passes from Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, comeback player of the year. So you know who's not on here that I would actually love to put a bet on? Who's that? Lamar Jackson. I don't. I, I know te- there's like no criteria for this. It's just who you think comeback of the year is. So he yeah. still played a good amount of games last year, but he still yeah. was injured a bunch. That's true. If for comeback player of the year, is it like 
you have to have not I don't know. played in X number of games or X number of whatever. I, I don't know how that like works. Yeah, I don't know either. That's interesting. But that wouldn't be one I'm interested in. I'm going to go over to Offensive Rookie of the Year, though. I think sometimes this gets bogged down by guys who are running backs and receivers. It's like always quarterbacks who wins this now. So take the quarterback you're most confident. Kenny Pickett's the favorite. He's plus 850. He'll probably get in at some point. But what if you don't think he's going to put up good numbers or something? No faith in Mr. Trubisky? No, not really. I'm going to go Desmond Ritter. I think the path to playing time is there for him. You can get him at 20 to 1 odds. I don't love this uh, this class of quarterbacks, so maybe that's something that, that he could just put together just enough of a season. Okay, let's get to the uh, postseason. What do you think is going to happen? Who is uh, going to go to the Super Bowl, and then who's going to win the Super Bowl? I got the Chiefs winning the AFC at plus 550. Again, they're, if they're going to give me good odds on the Chiefs, mm-hmm. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them. That's really all I can say. I'll go with the Chargers plus 750. I'm going to actually go with a different Super Bowl winner. This is just kind of playing the odds. The Bills are only like plus 250 to win the AFC. I'm actually picking the Bills out of the AFC to win the Super Bowl at plus 550. But to win the AFC, I like the odds better of the Chargers at plus 750. NFC? I really wanted to take somebody that wasn't Green Bay, but I just kept finding myself, I kept finding my eyes being drawn back to the Packers. So I decided to go with them. Plus, mm. plus four hundred. I think it's I think it's a pretty solid bet. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't have as much faith in Tampa Bay this year. I mean, Tom Brady he's got to slow down at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know. So I'm, I'm riding with the Packers. Packers are my pick as well. Plus four hundred, and then Super Bowl winner. I mentioned I'm taking the Bills. Who are you I'm going with? Going with the Chiefs. Plus a thousand again. If you're gonna keep giving me great odds. I'm taking them. Give me the Chiefs. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll uh, monitor how we do. We might add some bets through the quarterway, halfway mark, stuff like that over the course of the season. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some more Lance Leipold audio to share with you next. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We, uh, we'll get some more KU football audio. Savion Morrison coming up later this hour here. Uh, some other programming notes as we head into the latter end of the week already here. Coming up tomorrow, we've got another edition of High School Sports Weekly. We're going to be out at Burgers by Biggs. Highly recommend going out, whether it's for High School Sports Weekly or just in general, to Burgers by Biggs. Unbelievable burgers. It's that like perfect, greasy, not like in a bad way, like just the type of burger that you want. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Hand-cut oh, yeah. fries. They've got home or, or hand scooped ice cream i i think i'm gonna get like a malt or something this week i i didn't splurge myself last week but i'm gonna do that next uh this next week and uh we're gonna have free state high school football there with us for thursday show at burgers by biggs also we're gonna have some high school football to get to lawrence high again playing on thursday they'll be at olathe west who just looked really good they they took down free state last week so that should be a tough one for lawrence high they're gonna be playing at seaback joel becker matt llewellyn will have the call of that one on klwn at seven o'clock uh, i do have uh some some i guess confirmation on, on what you were just talking about there country okay. roads to west virginia is fraudulent so my mom sent me this really yeah uh she said it says uh let's see in the late 1970s songwriters billy danoff and his wife taffy nivert which I don't know if John Denver was like a, a stage name for that, one of them or no. it was just ghostwritten for no, him. Yeah, he was. Danoff was the guy that wrote the song. Okay. So he. he the compo- then, okay. Yeah. Um, they had been working on a ballad about winding roads that they thought about while on a trip through Western Maryland. But the problem was that Maryland had three syllables and it didn't fit the meter of the song. 
West Virginia has four. They thought Massachusetts would work. That would be weird, thinking back. Massachusetts. <laughs> take, yeah, it just doesn't sound right. Take me home. And it doesn't sound right because I'm not good at singing. But, uh, yeah, West Virginia is what they decided on. So, fraudulent. Yeah, I don't think that Danoff guy, I don't think he's ever been to West Virginia. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. <laughs> I love it. I don't think he'd ever been there. Oh, I love it. So it's completely fraudulent. But I guess it, is that kind of like, you know how with KU, like we claim Superman because like in one of the Superman movies, or I think it's happened in, in the original Superman movie and the newer Superman movie, uh, Superman is wearing like a Kansas Jayhawks like shirt oh, yeah, at different points. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I do remember And that. we kind of claim him, but it's like a fictional character. So does it matter? Yeah, if he's wearing Is that kind of the same thing? No, it's not even close. But they to say the West thing. Virginia in the song. But he's actually wearing he's actually wearing the but shirt. But it's fictional. And that if the song's matter. fictional, because it's based on something else, but it says West Virginia, I guess it's the same thing in my eyes. I have to disagree with you because we're the whole <laughs> the whole point we're trying to prove okay. is that West Virginia's fraudulent. Okay. So they can't be the same. Okay. Okay. Uh, we did our KU offensive breakdown on yesterday's show. Didn't have time to get to the defense from week one, and we went over some of the big stuff uh, in the earlier part of yesterday's show, but I want to take kind of a deeper dive. The first thing is something we did mention yesterday. Lonnie Phelps was unbelievable. He looked like the best player on the field. Whether he he was the best player overall, at the very least, when specifically the defense was on the field against their offense, he was the best player on the field at those point in times. He uh, led the team with seven tackles. He led the team with four tackles for loss. Led the team with three sacks as well. I think there was one that got classified as a tackle for loss that I guess they said it was a QB draw, but I was curious if they were going to give it a sack, and and that would have been even another crazy number. I, I remember we were having conversations over the course of the offseason leading up. Could you get similar, if not better, production from Lonnie Phelps to what you did for Kyron Johnson and I know that the exact notion of that question wasn't the idea of, would you get those exact stats? It's, are you getting the same contribution realistically over the course of the season? But it's just funny because now he only needs three and a half more sacks over the rest of the season to, to do what Kyron Johnson did. Yeah, I mean, I think we both agree on this in that if KU wants to reach their max potential in terms of wins and whatnot, Lonnie Phelps needs to be the best or second best player on the defense probably behind Kenny Logan yeah. or somebody from the linebacking core. He needs to be one of the top two or three best players on the defense for KU to reach their max potential as a defense and overall probably as a team as well to go further along with that. And that happened. That happened against Tennessee Tech. Now, again, small sample size against not a very good opponent, so he'll have to continue to build on that. But, but it did answer the question of, is this a guy that can come in and make an impact right away? Yes. The answer to that question is unequivocally yes, and you can't take that away from him from game one. Now the question becomes, can he carry that into Big 12 play? And, and again, I think if KU wants to reach their their maximum potential as a defense and as a team overall, he needs to be that guy. He needs to be a playmaker. He needs to be somebody that you can look to on a third down and long and say, this guy's going to get pressure, right? And if he can do that on a consistent basis, then KU is going to be very happy with that, I think, and the results we saw in, in week one. He can he's he can get a lot of sacks and he can rack them up quickly. So it, it was very exciting to see because there was obviously a lot of help, a lot of hype about Lonnie Phelps coming to the team, and it was nice to see him capitalize on that in Week One, and hopefully he can continue to build on it. Yeah, and I I think it really helps the rest of those D linemen to have that that one kind of guy that. I mean, if this continues, like you're you're going to start seeing more double teams and stuff, and maybe he will this week against West Virginia, and so. 
that goes two ways. One, it means other guys have to step up, step up, but it gives them a great opportunity to step up. And I think there are a lot of guys on this roster who can do that. With the amount of guys that did play, I, I think you're going to have a lot of guys who have fresh legs over the course of the season, over the course of games, which is going to be really helpful for this team. And, and I think that helps, too, with, with a guy like Lonnie Phelps, like keeping him healthy, keeping him upright, keeping his legs fresh. Yeah, and, and Brian Borland had talked about how yeah. they were going to rotate a lot of guys on the D-line. We saw that against Tennessee Tech. They used, like, 25 D-linemen, <laughs> another another official stat, another Nick Springer I think it was, stat. like, 14. I want to say it was 14. They rotated officially. about 100 guys <laughs> on the D-line. Everybody got in there. Uh, but, yeah, so that was cool to see, and I think that's probably going to continue throughout the season. Brian Borland, based on his comments, certainly makes it seem that way, that, hey, we have a lot of different guys that we want to use that, that way we can – keep guys fresh, but I want to give you kind of a, an interesting spin mm, on this. Okay. So you're going to rotate a lot of guys on the D-line, right? We know there are offenses in the Big 12 that run a lot of tempo, that, that like yeah. to go quick. Kind of in a weird way, could that potentially hurt KU? Because if you're rotating a lot of guys, that means not a lot of guys are playing a long, like a long series or long drives. So they could get gassed quicker on a drive, if a team is running tempo against them because they rotate out so much, what do you think of that? Hmm. It's, it's definitely interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so I guess there are certain times where you're still going to be able to sub because if the offense if a team's sub. running, exactly. Yeah. If they're running, hurry up, but they sub in, that gives you time to bring in. So that would be okay. But you're right. There are going to be certain games where. I mean, like Oklahoma State. Yeah. They're probably going to do it. Baylor will probably do but it. But you know what I think it would just be? I think in that situation. It's that, okay, maybe KU's unable to sub as much on a specific drive, but then just the next drive yeah. they'll go with the subs yeah. to try to make up for that, I guess. Yeah. But that could that you know, that, that could but make things I, more difficult. If I'm an opposing team or, or if I'm a head coach and I am an offensive guy and I'm watching film and I'm noticing that another team is constantly rotating players, in my mind that's what I would jump to. I'd say, Okay, well I'm just gonna run I'm just going to run no huddle every single play and force those guys to stay on the field for a whole drive and take advantage of that. That that's what I go to as an offensive if I'm thinking of in the terms of an offensive guy. So I wonder if that might happen at some point over the course of the season when KU gets more into Big 12 play against some of these faster-paced teams if they do try to exploit that by doing that. Yeah. I I think that's part of the idea of just no huddle in general. It it helps yeah. maybe yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's neutralize that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely part of no huddle in general, mm. but if a team is rotating guys so much, it almost I think it becomes more effective in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll definitely be interesting to monitor. I'm not sure how much like tempo West Virginia is going to use. Yeah, they were actually pretty balanced. I think mm -hmm. 39 pass plays, 33 run plays um, against Pittsburgh. And we heard from Tony Caridi, the voice of the Mountaineers, how he said, hey, you know, Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator, but even with Graham Harrell coming in, they still want to be a balanced team. They still want to run the ball. And we saw that. So, yeah, I don't against West Virginia, I don't think it would play too much of a factor because I think they are probably going to try to be more of a balanced team. But... Later in the season, who knows? The other uh, noticeable thing for the defense or, or takeaway from the first game, I think the linebackers, if you look at it individually, maybe there were some mixed results, but overall I think you feel pretty good about where that unit was in the first week of the season. Taiwan Berryhill, who we heard so much about possibly breaking out, how much he's improved from last year to this year, it's one thing to hear about it in practice and to hear about it in camp. It's another to see it in a specific game. He was awesome in that game, made a bunch of tackles. He was actually KU's highest-rated linebacker on pro football focus. Um, I think that we also got to see a good amount from Craig Young. I know he's technically like a linebacker-safety hybrid, and actually on pro football focus, he was 
Because based on how they do it, they based on where you're aligned, they give you that position. He was technically given a cornerback position, which <laughs> I think just shows, like, if your linebacker is basically given a cornerback position and he's still graded really well, that's probably a great sign of the versatility and, and the awesomeness that, that he can kind of provide there. Rich Miller was solid once again. Um, I think Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill, they, they played a decent amount, but, like, they didn't. They didn't do a ton. The pro football focus grades weren't great. Same for kind of Gavin Potter. So uh, there, it wasn't all great from everyone individually, but I think overall the sum of the parts, you're happy with it. Were you surprised that Lorenzo McCaskill played as much as he did? I think he played 25 mm-hmm. snaps. Did that surprise you? Not really. I, I thought they definitely would want to get him out there in a game like that. Like if you were playing West Virginia in the opener, I would have been surprised if that was the number because I, I do think that as talented as, he, talented as he is and as much as – who knows? He might even be a starter by like week five or week six, right? Yeah. Right now, he's obviously still learning everything with the scheme and the playbook to where he's he's kind of playing catch up there. But that's the perfect opportunity to play him a lot, right? That's true. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously we've heard from Brian Boylan again about Lorenzo McCaskill, and he kind of came in late, you know, so learning more of the system and kind of figuring out where he fits in. I was curious to see if he would get on the field quite a bit, but, but you're right. To your point, Tennessee Tech, when you're up big, that's that's the time you probably would want him in the game. So that makes that makes sense. Uh, but Gavin Potter, yeah, no tackles. Yeah, it's it's interesting too that as I mentioned with Craig Young, he played super well, and they came into the week with Craig Young and Gavin Potter being listed as or with each other on the depth chart, right? And Gavin Potter didn't have any tackles, as you just said. The Pro Football Focus grade wasn't good either. He had the lowest pro football focus I mean, grade of any KU defender. I don't even remember seeing him on the field. Like, not Which only was not he not well because he had one of the highest snap counts <laughs> exactly. of KU players. Not only was he non-existent on the stat sheet, even when he was no. on the field, I don't even remember seeing him. No, so I find it interesting that they're still listed as or on the depth chart. It, it feels like to me they're giving him a fair shake at things. At some point, if things don't turn around, and I've I've tried to be, you know, I, I guess reasoning. Uh, or apologetic or whatever to Potter. Like, it it hasn't been great in years past. It hasn't. There have been highlight performances. He actually had his best game last year against West Virginia, so maybe this is a good opportunity for him to do it. Um, and the idea that he didn't start playing linebacker till his senior year of high school, and then you go into a different scheme your first two years at KU, you play way before you probably should play body-wise. Now you're in another different scheme this year. Like, there are reasons to think that, of course, he could grow and, and his play could improve based on all of those things. At some point, though, if Craig Young is that good and Gavin Potter is going to continue to struggle, the playing time for Gavin Potter is going to go down. It just is. Yeah, I have another question for you. Mm -hmm. With all of the, I would say the linebacker position had the most hype in terms of transfers, in terms of guys that could make an impact. That Tywan Berryhill played really well, as you said, highest rated linebacker. Rich Miller seems like he solidified himself. Do we need to... Do we need to change our expectations for some of these transfer linebackers a little bit based off of the performances of the guys coming back and kind of a combination of those two things, of them coming in and the, and the performances coming back? I mean, do we, do we need to sort of put pause on that and, and say, okay, maybe it's going to either take a little longer for some of these guys to get in, or maybe a guy like Tywan Berryhill or Rich Miller, maybe they're just going to be better and yeah. they're going to play more. I mean, I don't I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question. I um Not to, like, I guess... I don't know. This is this is an ultimate cop out, but like, let's see what week two holds yeah, with West wait, Virginia. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, specifically with this game, just because it's it's better competition and everything. It's a team that has five experienced offensive linemen. It's a team that has 
uh, a, a couple good running backs that that showed out well against Pittsburgh last week. So I kind of am in the the wait and see game. I I do think that with guys like Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill. I kind of expect their role, specifically with McCaskill, their roles to even increase as the season goes on because of just getting normalized with everything. Um, but if Taiwan Berry Hill continues to look like that, if Rich Miller continues to be a leader on your team and be one of your top tacklers, it's going to be tough to, to kind of overtake those guys. Uh, Kenny Logan, the the secondary, I think overall, it wasn't like shaky, but there were certain times, and maybe this is just me overreacting because, of course, over the course of a game, you're not going to be able to limit a team to four passing yards. Like, there are going to be times when guys get open or when certain passing plays work. There were a few times, though, where passing plays didn't work for Tennessee Tech where you saw a guy, like, very open, and maybe it's just the quarterback got sacked or a pass got tipped at the line of scrimmage or a receiver dropped the pass or the pass was offline, something like that. To where I'm interested to see what they do against a Division One, a Power Five receiving core this week in West Virginia against a team that is going to want to throw it around the yard a little bit more. But uh, what was most interesting to me with the secondary, like I obviously have high expectations for Kenny Logan. He actually had the besides Gavin Potter, he had the worst Pro Football Focus grade on the team. Do you put anything into that? No, I I don't think you do for this game. And let, let's let's look at it from this perspective. For all intents and purposes. KU pretty much had the absolute perfect game against Tennessee Tech. Everything went almost perfectly for them, right? Except for Kenny Logan. He was he was the guy that struggled. But how often are you going to have a game where every single thing goes perfectly, every single guy is supposed to produce, produce it? I mean, how often is that going to happen? So from that standpoint, I, I don't take much into it. I don't take much into it. Uh, and I think furthermore, the good news for KU is they are going to go up against the Power 5 receiving core, but West Virginia – one of the worst teams in drops over the past couple years, and it showed again against Pittsburgh. And besides Bryce Ford Wheaton, their top receiver, they don't really have guys that just jump out at you in terms of athleticism or playmaking ability. So for KU secondary, I think it's going to be a relatively easy is not the right word, but not very demanding on the secondary, I think, in terms of what they're going up against. I mean, if they can, if they can lock down Bryce Ford Wheaton, I think they'll be okay. With, the, with their matchups elsewhere. So I don't take too much stock into the performance of Kenny Logan against Tennessee Tech. And But obviously, again, like I said, it kind of goes back to the Lonnie Phelps discussion. Lonnie Phelps and Kenny Logan probably need to be your best two defensive players if you KU in order for you to have the best defense that you could have this season, right? Yeah, I agree with that. So Lonnie Phelps showed out. Kenny Logan didn't. We'll see what happens in week two. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously, and for Kenny Logan's situation, uh, preseason All-Big 12, you figure he's going to become more of a factor in the defense, and hope, and sooner rather than later, because uh, like I said, I mean, you need him in the secondary, and if you have Lonnie Phelps in, up front, then you feel pretty good. So we'll see. He is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll uh, hear from Savion Morrison. This is RCST. <laughs> 